Welcome to Fresh Image. Fresh Image is a nonprofit Catholic ministry committed to providing individuals and communities with resources to facilitate the full flourishing of the image of God in each and every single human person. Not only will you find hundreds of articles, convenient audios, and presentations on our beautiful faith, but also catechetical resources to be used in the classroom, at the parish, and at the kitchen table. Today, we are happy to present Fresh Image Gospel Reflections from our founder, Tony Crescio. Tony reminds us that it is when we look into the mirror of Scripture that we discover the unique image of God we have each been created to be. My dear friends in Christ, last Sunday we returned to Sunday celebrations within the season of Ordinary Time. And, as we entered into this liturgical season, we saw how through its selection of readings, the Church is helping us get back to the basics of the Christian life. Accordingly, last Sunday we were reminded of a difficult but all-important fact about our lives as human creatures. Namely, we are not our own. Within our discussion, we saw that this fact of human life holds true within the order of creation and the order of salvation alike. For just as we can only be saved by participating in the life of the incarnate Son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again to give us a share in the divine life, so too we can only exist as creatures by participating in the life of God, who alone exists in himself. Thus, to say that we are not our own is a reminder of our radical dependency upon God, the source and giver of life, to whom we owe all that we have and are. Consideration of this basic fact of our lives as human creatures led to a discussion of another interrelated point. For, if we are radically dependent upon God for all that we have and are as creatures, such that we only experience fullness of life in communion with God, to try and live as though we were not so dependent leads to our disintegration. Put simply, turning away from God and living as though we are self-creators, destined to determine and forge our own purpose and identity, we go to pieces. A reality sadly experienced by many who struggle with one identity crisis after another as they restlessly seek meaning, purpose, and happiness apart from God. Things which no human creature can provide itself or another, and many are paralyzed or crushed by the weight of such pursuit. Our readings for this Sunday take us one step further in teaching us how it is that we discover and live out our created identities authentically. Collectively, they expand upon a point touched briefly upon last Sunday when discussing Jesus' call of St. Peter. Then we saw Jesus tell Peter, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. We also noted that in Matthew's Gospel, when giving Simon the name Peter, which in Latin is Petrus, meaning rock, Jesus adds, And upon this rock I will build my church. Such words must have been puzzling to Peter. He has just met Jesus and already Jesus is saying these things to him. Simon must be thinking, Peter? Rock? Church? What on earth are you talking about? We see something similar happen to Peter, Andrew, James, and John today. In verses 16 and 17 of the first chapter of Mark's Gospel, we see Jesus passing by the Sea of Galilee, where he sees Simon and his brother Andrew fishing. Thereupon Jesus calls the two brothers, saying, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. Three verses later, Jesus does the same with the sons of Zebedee, James and John. 
In both cases, we are told that the men left what they were doing and followed Jesus. We have likely heard this story so many times that the strangeness and even absurdity of what has just happened likely doesn't dawn upon us, and thus it is important to slow down and consider it carefully. Simon, Andrew, James, and John are at work, doing what is necessary to provide food for their families. They were fishermen, and then Jesus walks by and says, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. Consider what you would do in a similar situation. Say you're a farmer, out harvesting your crops, a doctor seeing a patient, an accountant trying to reconcile accounts, a store clerk waiting on a customer. What would you do if someone you did not know walked up to you out of the blue and said, leave your job, leave your way to earn a living and put food on the table for your family and follow me instead? What's more, this person doesn't just say, follow me. He says something very strange like, I will make you fishers of men. What on earth does this mean? There can be no question that the apostles must have been thinking the very thing. What does it mean to fish for men? And yet, they all follow. How can this be? What has just happened is a commentary of sorts on the opening verses of our gospel passage for today. For it concretely exemplifies the desired outcome of the message we hear Jesus proclaim to us there. In verses 14 and 15, we are told that after John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I want to focus on three elements in these verses. Jesus' act of proclamation, the word repent, and the word gospel. We had occasion to discuss the word gospel several weeks ago on the second Sunday of Advent. The Greek word translated as gospel is evangelion, which means good news. As discussed on the second Sunday of Advent, for those who would have heard Jesus make this proclamation, the word evangelion had a twofold significance. The first came from the world of ancient Rome. For the ancient Romans, the word evangelion denoted the proclamation of the good news of victory, of Caesar's victory, or a Roman general's victory over an enemy. The second meaning of good news came from the world of ancient Israel, which by the time of our Lord's incarnation had come to be related to God's work of saving and liberating the people of Israel. These are the two meanings that would have raised in the minds of Jesus' listeners. However, for them, it would not have been clear how God was working the people's liberation and salvation to bring about a victory for his kingdom at this point in Jesus' ministry. In Mark's gospel, while there are hints throughout that the good news is that the incarnate Son has won a decisive victory over the human family's enemies of sin and death, and thus made possible our participation in the kingdom of God, this only becomes clear at the very end of the gospel, after the death and resurrection of the Son of God. A more detailed discussion of the gospels, and more specifically the gospel of Mark, would be required in order to explain why we don't really discover what the good news is until the end. But put very briefly, it has to do with what is known as the Messianic secret and how Jesus is not the type of Messiah that many of the Jewish people of his time and place would have expected. Even this succinct introduction to the topic, however, leads to a consideration of the second word to be discussed here, which is repent. In this case, the Greek word being translated is metanoiate, which means to change one's mind or one's way of thinking. What's more, it carries the connotation of going beyond one's normal way of thinking. This is the same word used to describe John the Baptist's message earlier in the very same chapter. 
Thus, in the span of just 15 verses, in the very first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, both St. John the Baptist and Jesus are calling us to change our way of thinking and to go beyond our normal way of thinking. Doing so is at the center of the Christian faith, and this for many reasons. For starters, giving the messianic secret, in that time and place, changing one's mind and going beyond one's normal way of thinking had to do with how one thought about God's Messiah, who he would be, and what he would accomplish. Changing one's mind and going beyond one's normal way of thinking, therefore, also had to do with how one thought about or expected God to accomplish his work of salvation. In that time and place, no one would have expected God to accomplish his work of salvation through an incarnate son. For who knew God the Father had a son? Nobody. Much less that the incarnate son would win salvation by way of hanging on a tree, which many at that time saw as a divine sign that one was cursed by God, based on Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, which says, Anyone who is hanged is a curse of God. These issues are not less pertinent in our own time and place, when many believe neither that Jesus was the incarnate Son of God, nor that we are in need of salvation in any case. Thus today, as much as at any time and place, and perhaps more since the Son of God incarnate walked the earth, are we in need of repenting, of converting our way of thinking and going beyond our normal way of thinking, which assumes, I'm okay and you're okay, and if there is a God, he really isn't a factor in our life. That is, until we need something. The question becomes, how does the world experience metanoesis, the sort of radical change in our normal way of thinking? The answer to this question itself requires a previous metanoesis, a radical change in a going beyond the way we normally think of other aspects of human life, especially on the part of Christians. We have already discussed two of these last Sunday and recapped them at the outset today, namely, that we are not our own, and that apart from God, our lives go to pieces. But a third has to do with what we touched upon earlier in regard to Peter and the rest of the apostles and deals with human identity. Today we live in a time and place that emphasizes to us in countless ways that each of us is to determine our identity and purpose for his or herself. And so extreme have we become in this belief as a people that many today would say that my use of two pronouns is not even close to enough when it comes to an individual human creature articulating who they have decided to be and what their identity is. When we have so transgressed common sense to the extent that elementary science, a discipline which gives us basic knowledge of creation, is completely disregarded to suit our whims, this is a clear sign that we have decided that we determine the meaning of creation and most of all, ourselves. To do so is nothing short of self-divinization, to make of oneself one's own creator and thereby reject both one's lived existence as a creature and the God who created and gifted us with our existence. When we make ourselves God, is it any wonder that we don't know what we are as human creatures anymore? And that so many, desperately seeking to find meaning and purpose, literally mutilate themselves in the midst of their pursuit? The gospel stands directly opposed to this and instead proclaims a message of healing and wholeness, of life to its fullest, in short, of salvation. And it is this good news that the world is in desperate need of hearing and even more so of witnessing. Only when Christians live out their created and given identities 
will the world experience metanoesis. For only then will the world witness what it means to live with unshakable joy, which is what all of us human creatures desire at our core. This brings us to the final point of consideration for today, Jesus' proclamation. The fact that Jesus, the eternal word of God now become incarnate, calls to the fishermen is of central importance. When the Gospels recount the calling of the apostles, they don't say, Jesus called some guys and they followed him. Rather, the Gospels tell us that Jesus called Simon, Andrew, James, and John, etc. This is so important for us today. For the very same word of God through whom God called all things into existence in the beginning, now calls specific human creatures by name, in all their unique individual specificity. This is where a point made in last weekend's reflection comes into play. Namely, that the orders of creation and salvation operate according to the same dynamics and logic. Thus, the God who once created each of these men by calling them into existence now calls them to a renewed existence via salvation in the incarnate Son. And it is precisely by participating in this renewed existence, by way of following the Son of God incarnate, Jesus Christ, that each of them will discover who they have been created to be in all their radical uniqueness, as Simon, Andrew, James, and John. The same holds for each and every single human creature God has called into existence. Only by living a life of discipleship, by following Jesus Christ, do our lives, our purpose, and our identity as human creatures become intelligible. Moreover, the life of discipleship isn't simply a matter of following and observing. It is a matter of living out one's created identity obediently. In the calling of the apostles, we learn that our created identities are missional at their core. Said differently, each human creature finds its identity by obediently living out the mission for which it has been created. Thus, when Jesus calls Simon, Andrew, James, and John to a life of discipleship, he makes clear that his intention is to give them a mission, a new purpose in life, to become fishers of men. And it is by living as fishers of men, by pursuing the mission which Jesus calls them to, that each will daily discover simultaneously more about Jesus and more about their created purpose. Once again, this holds true for every single human creature. Examples of this truth concerning human life are found throughout the whole of Scripture, and we are presented with one in our first reading for today. There, we meet the prophet Jonah. The story of the prophet Jonah provides an excellent example of the complex nature of living out our created identities. The passage for today begins in chapter 3 of Jonah's story. There, in verses 1 through 3, we hear, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, set out for the great city of Nineveh, and announced to it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah set out for Nineveh, in accord with the word of the Lord. The important detail here is contained in the opening verse, which we may be tempted to skim over quickly. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The question that should immediately come to mind is, what about the first time? Those familiar with the story already know, the first time God called Jonah, things didn't work out so well. If we but tend to the name Jonah, we may not be so surprised at this. You see, the name Jonah means dove. What happens when you try to get close to a dove? Like all birds, it scurries or flies away. 
This is exactly what Jonah does the first time God draws close to him. In chapter 1 of the book of Jonah, we are told that when the word of the Lord came to Jonah, calling him to preach repentance to the city of Nineveh, Jonah made ready to flee to Tarshish, away from the Lord. Thus, the first time God calls Jonah to live his created purpose, his mission in life, Jonah disobeys. And as discussed last weekend in relation to the judge Eli, the result is disaster. A great storm overtakes the ship Jonah is sailing on and is in peril of sinking. It quickly comes to light that it is on account of Jonah's disobedience that this is taking place. Through the storm, God is, if you will, tracking Jonah down. Realizing this, Jonah expresses repentance. He tells the sailors, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Subsequently, Jonah tells the sailors that all will be well if they throw him into the sea. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will calm down for you. For I know that this great storm has come upon you because of me. Next, one of the most famous episodes in Scripture transpires. As chapter 2 opens, we are told, But the Lord sent a great fish to swallow Jonah, and he remained in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. What happens next is key. Far from feeling sorry for himself, Jonah prays to God from the belly of the whale. Out of my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the womb of Sheol I cried for help, and you heard my voice. I, with thankful voice, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance is from the Lord. From the womb of Sheol I cried for help, and you heard my voice. Sheol, the realm of the dead. From the realm of the dead, Jonah cries out in repentance, vowing to carry out God's commands, and God hears him. Then the Lord commanded the fish to vomit Jonah on dry land. Our passage for today is what happens next. Out of obedience to God's created missional identity for him, Jonah preaches a message of repentance to the people of Nineveh, who heed the word of the Lord spoken through Jonah, repent and are saved. The short recounting of the story of Jonah, his disobedience, repentance, and subsequent obedience, wonderfully exemplifies the drama of human life in its complexity, fellow sinners. Initially, Jonah disobeys God's command, rejects his created identity and mission, and experiences death. And in this living death, he becomes a figure of the effect that our Savior can have on each of our lives. For as a prophet of God, Jonah not only prefigures the three days spent in the tomb by the Son of God incarnate, Jesus Christ, but prefigures what happens when a human creature repents, turns back to God, and participates in the paschal mystery of our Lord and Savior. We discover our created identity and mission and are enabled to experience new life accordingly. And, just as importantly, our participation in the Paschal mystery of the Son of God incarnate enables us to share in His saving mission of calling the world to repentance and new life in communion with God, just as Jonah did for the people of Nineveh. My friends, this weekend we are reminded that not only are we not our own, but once again it has been emphasized to us that we have each been created on purpose with a purpose. Each human creature has been created by God with a completely unique missional identity. Thus, like the apostles and Jonah before them, the human creature discovers its identity by repenting, leaving the world behind and turning toward God. 
This in turn enables it to live out its unique mission. And when lived in obedience, the mission of each human creature is a radically unique expression of God's love for the world, and thereby calls all around to repent and participate in the very same communion. This is what it meant for Jonah to preach to the people of Nineveh. This is what it meant for the apostles to become fishers of men. This is how God intends to call the world to the fullness of life, by reminding them of his love and mercy through you and me. St. John Henry Newman beautifully expressed these truths in a reflection entitled, I Have My Mission, writing, God has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. Somehow, I am necessary for his purposes, as necessary in my place as an archangel in his. I am a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons. He has not created me for naught. I shall do good. I shall do his work. I shall be an angel of peace, a preacher of truth in my own place, while not intending it, if I do but keep his commandments and serve him in my calling. Thank you for listening to this week's Gospel Reflection. For more resources, please visit us at freshimage.org. And remember, when you live a fresh life, you will be a breath of God's fresh, life-giving air to the world.